together as a church, we've been moving through the book of 1 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and take, take it there um, to 1 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the back table back there. Um, and you can just get up and go get one. That would be totally fine. Otherwise, you can pull out your smartphone and, and download an app or something like that, too. That would be cool as well. So uh, this morning, we're, we're going to continue looking at 1 Timothy. What we're trying to do here is build a healthy understanding of what church is. Um, for a long time, the church has, has um, sort of moved towards a more institutional model um, than uh, what I think is originally intended and what's prescribed in Scripture. Um, and so what we've done throughout the life of Buffalo City Church now that we've been doing uh, about, we were about seven months together um, doing corporate worship like this, and, and we've done about, uh, we've been together for about 11 months doing community and life together. Um, but something that we something that we talk about a lot is is moving our understanding of church away from what it's become to a more biblical understanding of what it actually is. And so, as we uh, deconstruct what church looks like, we're also then now reconstructing um, what it should look like based on the biblical imperatives given to us uh, here in First Timothy, and we're moving uh, in in a few different places as well, in order that we might, as a people, come together and be um, hey Philip. I got like a crazy reverb or something. I did. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Thank you. Um, I just yeah, I'm in my own head. So um, what we're uh, what we're doing? Oh, that's so much better. Thank you. Okay, so what we're doing is building this healthy understanding so that we as a people might live together um, in community, doing life together um, with the gospel at the center of, of what we're doing. Really, really seen as we've uh, as we moved through this letter. Um, that, that Paul's first and primary goal is to admonish Timothy in the gospel and to see the, the outflow of the gospel in his life and his conduct and in the way that he uh, is leading uh, the church in, in Ephesus at this time. Um, so this is really our fifth week together. I mean, we're in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. Um, and I think something that I want to say here this morning too is uh, just as a, this is just kind of like a helpful thought exercise. Um, one big picture idea for us out of uh, some of the major themes that we've seen throughout the course of this book is that some of these principles uh, that we've talked about as being absolutes for the church, um, they also serve as examples for us. Um, but the context in which the church finds itself, so for us specifically in Jamestown in 2016, um, there, it allows for some flexibility. So, so some of the, the, the things that we've talked about very specifically, like um, the, the gospel being at the center, and, and also some of the roles that were given and the outworkings of the gospel in the life of the church, um, those are all fixed and certain. But the way then that we do church, how we do this together, um, remember that church is a people, not a building or a place, but the way that we do church, the way that we get together, the way that we operate together, um, might look very different um, based on our context. So it allows some flexibility. I think a lot of times what the church has done is taken some texts like these and then uh, imposed them upon people and, and driven them down. But, but the context then, the way the actual outworking of how this all looks will look different based on each context. And, and even to take that even to more personal level, each individual within the context of the local church has different giftings. Um, they're called to specific things within their lives and the way that they are comprised, like our makeup is, is fundamental to the way that this will look. Um, so I just wanted to say that because as we kind of are, are, are inspecting this biblical data in, in a pretty... Uh, 
in a, in, a, in a pretty intense way, I think we need to know and recognize that we as a people are unique together. Like, the, the, uh, the prescription is here, but we are unique. We are a unique body um, who's looking to this text to give us uh, the parameters and the framework in order that we might live together effectively in community. Okay. So, I just wanted to say that this morning, uh, just so that we kind of are in the same headspace as we move into this text this morning, um, verse, uh, or chapter 4, and let me read this text for us. We're just going to read the whole chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and then we'll dive in. Remember last week we talked about servant leadership and what it looks like for the church to be served uh, by by the elders or the overseers or the, the pastors and then, and then the deacons uh, likewise serving the congregation. That The idea of leadership is always tied in, uh, in with servanthood and servant leadership that is very important for us in the local church. Um, Paul gives us the, last week we talked about the, uh, the conduct that flows out of a gospel understanding and the, the qualifications then for those offices. And this week we're going to see what serving the church actually looks like for us on a day-to-day basis. So let's read this text together. This is 1 Timothy 4, uh, verses 1 through 16. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, but by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be, uh, to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by the means of the word of God in prayer. And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and on the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables or fit for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purposes of godliness. For bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and it also and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech conduct con- Uh, Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which is bestowed on you through a prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by 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 the elders. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Play, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Per, uh, per, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it gives us such a clear picture of what a healthy church looks like. Lord God, I pray as those who have been uh, who have trusted Christ, God, who have been given the Spirit of Christ, and that He resides within us, Lord God, I pray that we would uh, stir up uh, 
Uh, that we would stir up the gifts that uh, are present within us, God, and that we would seek to serve the body of Christ. Lord God, as we dive into what that looks like, specifically this morning, I pray that you'd be with us, that you would guide us. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. So let me give you sort of the big idea then this morning. And uh, the big idea coming out of this text that I see, and there's a lot going on in this text, but, but I really want to hone in sort of on, um, on verse uh, 15 in chapter 4. Take pains with these things, these things, be absorbed, or your Bible might say be immersed, be immersed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. So the big idea that I see coming out of this text as a text that's centered in service of the local church, is a servant of the church of Christ Jesus should warn, model, and instruct as an outflow of immersion in the gospel or gospel immersion. Um, again, a servant, of Christ, a servant of the church of Christ Jesus should warn, model, and instruct as an outflow of gospel immersion. Okay. So we're really going to talk about three things this morning. You can see them up on the screen. They're highlighted for you. Warning, modeling, and instructing. And we'll take these in turn. This is just really how the text is broken out for us. So verses 1 through 5 talks about the warning uh, that, that a servant of Christ Jesus should, should bring. Um, and then verse 6 through 10, the modeling or the example that, the church, that a servant of the church should be. And then finally, um, uh, and instructing that the, a servant of the church should give to those who he or she is in contact with regularly. Okay, so let's take that first chunk of text then, for chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Let's talk about the warning that we see here. Um, and even before that, I think there's a linchpin verse here, um, a hinge verse for us in verse 6, that, that really kind of gives us the thrust um, throughout the course of the, the, at least these first several verses. Um, it's that what the heart of the passage is, why I say that the heart of this passage is serving the church. Um, so verse 6, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished in the words of faith and of sound doctrine. And remember we talked in our first week, uh, in the first week in the book, uh, we talked about these guys who were, who were preaching silly myths and, and doctrines and, and, and false doctrines and false gospels and, and showing up and, and causing confusion in the life of Ephesus and the church in Ephesus. Um, um, but, but what was really going on here is, is an understanding that, that this that this is something that's going to happen. So when we get to chapter 4, and he says, but the Spirit explicitly says in a later time some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience. What he's saying is like, this is coming and it's happening to you now. Um, so someone who's instructing, someone who's grounded in gospel truth, someone who's grounded in good doctrine, you need to be aware and you need to be ready to warn the people of God against these things. Um, and there's plenty of scenarios like this in our world. Um, there are pretty, plenty of false gospels, as we call them, in our world that, that we subscribe to, maybe sometimes unknowingly, um, but there are people who, who perpetuate these throughout, uh, throughout our world and throughout, throughout uh, our day-to-day -day lives. Um, let, me just, let me just give you some of these. Um, one that's probably at the forefront of, of everyone's mind, prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel that, that seeks to elevate the gift above the giver. Um, it seeks to take um, you and say, hey, you can have everything that you want if you just put your faith in Jesus. 
Um, but that's not, earthly blessing is not what we seek um, when, we look at, when, we, when we see the gospel. The, the scripture promises in this life there will be suffering, there will be tribulation, but Jesus says to us very specifically, take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the, the prosperity gospel is this perversion um, that, that wants you to be rich and healthy, and it ignores suffering and elevates the gifts, like I said, above the giver. And this is a gospel that turns God into a prop that helps them to overcome their situations or their scenarios. And we actually see that bleeding over into some other areas of our lives where, where the only time we pray or the only time we think about the, the good news of the gospel is when we uh, need to uh, be lifted up out of a, a scenario or a situation. Instead of finding our joy, our continuous joy and our happiness in and understanding that Jesus has paid the penalty for us in our broken state, um, what we do is we just take him and turn him into a problem. And something like this teaches self-reliance and self-determination, and it turns the wild work of salvation into a man-centered process um, and doesn't fix its, fix its gaze on Jesus Christ. Um, another gospel that, that frequently is addressed in, in Scripture, this is a false gospel that seeks to generate righteousness after one is saved rather than rely on the righteousness of Jesus transferred to us on the cross. So it's one that says, Jesus paid for your, for your sin, and so now in this moment you, you have been saved, but now moving forward you need to figure it out, and you need to have some merit on your own, and you need to generate righteousness so that you can stand before a holy God. But Jesus paid for that. He paid for your sins, and he lived a perfect life in order that you might receive the righteousness of Christ. This is the exchange. This is justification. This is the exchange that takes place on the cross, right? Our sin to him, his righteousness to us. And so those are some false gospels that we see in our world today. And we must, as a people, be, be ready to, when we see those things, warn others in the church if they're going down those paths. And there are many other things like this um, that, we, that exist in our world. And so Paul is admonishing Timothy to be one who warns people against false gospels, against false doctrines. Um, Paul knew that Ephesus uh, could be a tough spot um, if those guys... Even in chapter 1, we talked about Hymenaeus and Alexander, um, who, who these two guys were excommunicated because they were preaching these silly myths and these strange doctrines. Um, and, uh, and, and so Paul puts them out of the church, right? And so Paul's admonishing Timothy. And he knew that, this, that Ephesus was this tough spot um, because these guys, they were bringing this stuff, they were bringing these gospels. Um, that, and, and if they weren't addressed quickly... Um, with sound doctrine, there will be problems. There will be problems in the, in the local church. And so Paul gives us the gospel issue that needs to be addressed. Um, and this here, towards the end of, of verses 1 through 5, um, verse 3 through 5 really specifically, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth, um, Paul is talking about something that happened in that world. It's called asceticism. It was basically like putting off or like um, sort of this like denial of self in order to, to generate righteousness. Even like that false gospel that we talked about there just at the end of, of that, that list that I gave you. Asceticism or putting off of or self-denial. And Paul says this has, this has the appearance of righteousness, but it is not righteousness. He's saying, you can put these things off, you can put off marriage, you can put off particular foods, but at the end of the day, all you're doing is just putting those things off and you're not, you're not generating or crediting yourself righteousness 
at all. And Paul sees that as a gospel issue because he knew that that could only come through Jesus. That righteousness could only come through Christ Jesus. Um, so Paul is saying that people are claiming that you have to deny yourself things that God has called good in order to be saved or set apart. Those guys are wrong. And Paul is just saying, not being married, that doesn't justify you. Not eating certain foods, that doesn't justify you. You're justified uh, by grace through faith, granted in Jesus Christ. So this is the first part this morning. We see Paul admonishing Timothy to warn the people of God. Warn them against false gospels. Warn them against uh, false doctrine uh, that would, was coming their way. That was uh, sort of uh, being heaped upon the church in Ephesus. Paul wanted Timothy to be the guy who showed up and who said, that's wrong, that's wrong, this is why, this is why. Now we need to recognize and put before us the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so in serving the church, Timothy is warning, but then we see him also modeling in verses 6 through 10, or giving an example, being an example in verses 6 through 10 um, of, of what this looks like. So in verse 6, we talked about this. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished in the words of faith and of sound doctrine, which you have been following. And so by pointing out these false gospels, um, he says these things, referring back to these false gospels, to which uh, some of you in your midst, Paul's saying, some of the people in your midst in the church in Ephesus, they might subscribe to these things. This will render a good servant of Jesus Christ. So a good servant warns about these false gospels and these false doctrines, but how? Um, the second half of verse 6 is so important. Constantly nourished on the words of faith and on sound doctrine which you have been following. Being constantly nourished, or your, your translation might say, constantly trained um, in the words of faith. This is God's word. God's word given to us here. Um, perfect. It is all sufficient. Um, and and what, it, what Paul is saying is that sound doctrine comes out of being nourished and trained in the Word of God. The ability to discern these false gospels and to warn against them in verses 1 through 5 comes through uh, being saturated in God's Word. And this is very applicable. Again, for our day, because we have a lot of people who are saying or propagating these false gospels, or we're fed lies about our happiness or our prosperity or what our life should look like. Um, we uh, we typically uh, begin to get really introspective. We begin to think in our core, like, well, does God really love me? What's going on? Like, how could this be happening to me? Um, and that's typically the posture. That's a, that's a posture that, that, a, that sin has created and generated for us so that we can, we, we come in, we, we show up and we say, okay, um, okay so life is really difficult right now, so why, what am I being punished for? Or why doesn't God love me? Those are the questions that we begin to ask. Um, but, but Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to be nourished and trained in the word of faith and sound doctrine. So when these things come, when these difficulties come, um, you have the biblical literacy or understanding or knowledge to discern and combat those lies. 
And unfortunately for the church in our day, the answer to that question, do we have the ability to discern, do we have the ability to combat these lies, um, oftentimes is no. The, the answer is no, because we're not saturated in the Word. We're not constantly uh, just steeped in it. Um, but rather, we are, we are far too frequently uh, spending our time outside in, difficult, in different, different areas. So we must pursue sound doctrine and fluency in it from biblical, biblical understanding in order that when these things happen, um, we might know the truth of, of Scripture. And so Paul's admonishing, again, Timothy as a good servant of the church in Ephesus and as the church of the church as a whole to be the guy who's constantly in God's word and modeling that, setting the example for that uh, in the life of the church. So Paul is calling Timothy um, to be saturated in God's word, um, the, the one who is able to answer false gospels, false doctrines with gospel truth. Um, he, he's calling Timothy to be the one who's constantly being impacted by gospel truth, even as we talked about last week with the servant leadership, constantly impacted by gospel truth, creates this, this, uh, this type of man who is qualified to, to lead in some of the things that we saw last week, like not loving money and managing the household um, and, and just things like being temperate, prudent, respectable, and hospitable, and able to teach gospel impact bears those things in the life of the believer. Um, he's constantly being impacted by the gospel. Um, he's one who is disciplined as well. Think about uh, verses uh, 7 and 8. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for women. That's a cliche. It means simply old wives tales. We would, that's how we would say it. Um, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And then he gives this, this little description. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. He's going back and talking about the asceticism um, in verse 3, of abstaining from marriage and food and all of that stuff, and disciplining the body. That's only profitable a little bit, he says. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So he's saying being, being nourished and being trained in God's word is, uh, is, is profiting you greatly because that's godliness. That's directing you towards godliness and not just uh, bodily discipline and putting off certain things. And then in verse 10, we have a, this really important verse for us. For it is for, for it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially for believers. We labor and we strive, again, not to generate righteousness for ourselves, right? Because that only comes through Jesus Christ. Not to generate righteousness for ourselves, but rather as an outworking of the impact of the gospel. So what do we labor in? We don't labor to modify our behavior. We don't labor to, uh, to, to make a, put on a performance or a show, but we labor to pursue the understanding of who Jesus is in his word, who God is for us in Jesus, in his word. We labor to know God in order that we might see the outworkings of gospel truth in our lives. 
So think about this in your, in your own life because, because Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you're the guy who's going to be this and people are going to latch onto this and they're going to look at that and they're going to say, well, is he just modifying his behavior? Is, he, is, he just, is, is, this, is this just something that he's doing externally? Or is it something that in his heart he believes and this is an outworking of that? It's an overflow of the things uh, that, that are impacting him, mainly the gospel. So think about this in your own life. So like, here at Buffalo City Church, our mission, we state it this way, and we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, and the idea that, the underlying idea behind that is that we, as people, are always discipling something. And so it's really, well, I'm not making any disciples. Yes, you are. Because, because it's, it's the things that you do on a daily basis. It's, it's who you are. It's what you say. It's how you act. Someone looks up to you in your world. Someone looks up to you and I'm talking about everybody. Kids, moms, dads, grandparents, everybody. Somebody looks up to you in your world, whether you know it or not. And the way that the outworking of the gospel is working out, you're making a disciple. Or if you are pursuing something other than gospel truth in your life, if you're pursuing something other than Jesus Christ and hoping to have your affections stirred, or your affections are stirred by something we sang about affections today. Let me just give you this aside. We sang, we sang about affections today. When we talk about affections, what we're talking about is like what our mind is continually fixed on. What are we thinking about and what are we doing related to, um, related to what we think is, is true? So, so if, if our minds right now are, are fixated on what we're going to do this afternoon, if you're going to go home and mow your lawn, or if you're going to go home and, uh, and uh, you know, maybe you're going to go fishing this afternoon, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do this afternoon. But um, if we're people who, who, who our affections are stirred for things regularly, it might, be, it might be sports, it might be leisure, it might be your lawn, it might be a whole host of different things, movie, travel, shopping, I don't know. Um, but what you can't do is, is have those things usurp the role of Jesus in your life because your affections for those are greater. Your affections for those are greater than for the person of Jesus Christ because your, uh, your, your, your affections or your love for sports or for uh, leisure activities, for travel, for shopping, all of those things cannot satisfy you, cannot satisfy the need that you have uh, for a Savior. So you're broken in your sin, um, and you, are, uh, you were before, before Christ in a position where you could not, where you could not make a way and commune with God the Father. You could not have right relationship with God. Um, but in his infinite love, he sent his son to die in order that we might. And if our affections aren't stirred for Jesus because of the fact that we, we might spend eternity away from him, or we might spend eternity, he has, he has laid, he has put his grace upon you in order that you might uh, that you might spend eternity with God. And if your lawn is making you, uh, or your or sports, or whatever, whatever it is, is, is stirring your affections more than that, then we need to, we need to begin to, to do some serious, uh, serious thought processes here. So what I'm saying here is that we're modeling something in our lives. There are people who look up for you. Again, it might be your kids. It might be a sibling. It might be your plumber. I don't know who it is. There's someone in your world who's looking up to you. And so the question that you need to be asking yourself, is the way that I live my life impacted by gospel truth first? 
So the question then, the right question that we need to be asking ourselves is, what stirs my affections? What stirs my affections? Okay, finally, uh, this morning, um, as we move through this passage, okay, we saw Paul admonishing Timothy to be uh, one who warns against false gospels and false doctrines. We saw him, him admonish Timothy to be one who models the impact of the gospel. And then we see finally, uh, we, we see Paul admonishing Timothy to be one who instructs the people of God. Um, so modeling is kind of falls under this heading, and I think this is kind of why maybe Paul ended this, this section, this, this chunk of text, this letter with uh, the idea of instruction, because modeling is a type of instruction. It's like what people see um, coming out of you, and you're instructing with the way that you live. But now Paul is, is telling Timothy to be one who verbally instructs uh, the people of God. Um, and this comes in the form of some serious encouragement related to Timothy's gifting. So, so we see in verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. Okay, so what, 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 what are these things? Um, the gospel. Uh, the, that there are false gospels out there. So prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on you because of your youthfulness. Uh, this is not contingent on age. And Paul knew that the gospel was for everyone, not just old people, Right? So he's saying, don't let anyone look down at your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Again, the idea of an example, but one who's living out truth in his life. Um, and then don't neglect in verse 13, or in verse 14, I'm sorry, um, until I come give attention to the public reading of Scripture, this is verse 13, until I come give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching, Verse 14, do not let, neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the elders. And so what Paul is saying here is like this prophetic utterance piece that sounds a little strange to us. Basically, it's just like an acknowledgement of, from the elders. There's an acknowledgement of the gifting of Timothy by the elders that sent him out to the church in Ephesus. Regarding the call and then in verse 15, and this is what I said at the outset, this is very, very, very important. I think this might be one of the most important like verses, sentences in this entire book. Paul writes, Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Um, why I say that's so important is because we need to be, what we say is take pains, be diligent with these things. He's saying be absorbed in them. Be immersed in them. That's some, that's some really strong language here. Paul's using some really, really strong language here. Um, and I think that this is, this, is, this is important for us because we are a... Uh, a desensitized people, like our society is desensitized. Okay, so, so track with me here. We got up this morning, got ready for the day, hopped in a ton of metal, and drove here at 70 miles per hour. Okay? And then you might later this month or this summer at some point hop in even more tons of metal and fly across the country at like huge rates of speed. Okay? You see what I'm saying? Like this is desensitizing. 
Because, because some things that we take for granted, like just think about how incredible it is that we're going to fly through the air in chunks of metal. Like that's, that's incredible. Like that's an incredible thing. And then, and then what do we do? We like, we, I don't have my phone on me, but we pull out our phone and we watch, we watch like, we watch superheroes like punch each other through walls on this little like square metal thing. It's like right here. We can watch that right here. And so we're like, we're desensitized in the fact that we have instant access and we can do all of these incredible things, but we never think twice about them. Like, we never think twice about them. And the reason I bring that up is because of the fact that we as a people, when we're thinking about the gospel, a lot of times we're just desensitized. We're just desensitized. People were thinking, you're like, well, yeah, sure, I was dead in my transgressions and sins, and I've been raised together with Christ, and that's great. But, but we don't think about the truth that lies behind that enough. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't think about it. We, but what Paul is calling Timothy to do is sit down to be absorbed, to be immersed in it. To think to yourself, okay, what, what does my day look like, and why is it important that I believe the gospel today? Because I'm going to go to work and there's going to be this coworker who's like yelling at me. My boss is yelling at me. I'm going to come home. My kids are crying. They're freaking out. Um, and, 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 I, and I have a honey-do list as long as my arm. And, and there are all these things. But, but, the, but the, the, th the thought process is like, how are we filtering those things through the understanding of the gospel? And we can only do that if we're immersed or absorbed in the gospel. We can only do that if we have a constant recognition that we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. But we, together with Christ, have been made alive because of his work on the cross, because of his shed blood, our sins are taken away. Because of his perfect life and undeserved death, his righteousness is credited to us. And so we have no sin. When God looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus. What, I, I, I cut my sentence off there when I said we have no sin. We have sin, but it's paid for in full by the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we need to be absorbed or immersed in gospel things like Paul tells Timothy. We need to fight desensitization. Desensitization. To fight and to instruct those who are discipling. And to disciple well. To be models of what Paul... Paul is, or what God has called us to, what Paul is admonishing Timothy to. To fight to model what it means to be immersed in gospel truth. To fight to be discerning and vigilant to keep false gospels out of the church. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The, the quickest way that this body will be broken is by allowing false gospels, false doctrines to walk through the front door and to not be vigilant to get rid of them. I'm not saying people. I'm saying ideas and thoughts and concepts that are contrary, that are contradictory to the truth of God's word. Okay. So, finally then this morning, in conclusion, here's, here's, here's the deal. This is what serving the church looks like, right? This is what serving the church looks like. We, as a people, if we're called to, and, and Paul's calling Timothy to do this, but we're all called to do this. We're all called to serve the church with the gifts that are given to us. And that's going to look different from person to person, right? That's, a, that's that flexibility that's allowed within our context. 
for us to explore and see, like, what are we good at? Like, what, what do we have? What, what, what has God given to us as gifting in order that we might serve and love one another? What are those things? But we can only know that if we are absorbed, immersed in the gospel as a church, as a whole. I think that's the best way that I can sum up what Paul is telling Timothy throughout this whole letter. And that's why I say verse 15 is so important for us. So everything, warnings, discipleship, roles. We talk about roles between men and women and leaders and, um, and, and, uh, and then servanthood, instruction. All of these things that are going on in this book, all of that is a result of deep, we used this term last week, or this phrase, deep gospel impact. You can only be deeply impacted by the gospel if you're immersed or absorbed in it. So what I'm saying this morning, you might, you might we're wrapping up and you might think to yourself, I don't, I don't really know what he's talking about. Um, so, so we as a people, broken by sin, God is a holy God and cannot be in the presence of sin. And the wrath of God was set against us. The wrath of God was set against us as a people if you are not in Christ. And there is literally no hope in this world for you when the wrath of God is set against you. But in God's infinite love, again like we said, um, we, we tried to, before an understanding of that, we tried to have tried so desperately to do things, to seek things out in our world that we might uh, be justified. We, people, we're always constantly, we're constantly trying to justify ourselves. But God in His infinite love sent His Son to, to earth to die on our behalf, to soak up, to soak up that wrath of God. He is our substitute. Jesus Christ is our substitute so that we can stand in the presence of a holy God and have a relationship with Him. Have a relationship with the One who created us. And that relationship will extend for eternity. And so, as we just finish this morning, so we always get that. Um, but, but just real talk, some of us are going to go from here and not think about it for the rest of the week. This is where we fight. This is where we labor. This is where we strive. You're going to go to work. You're going to take the kids to the park. You're going to hit up Johnny B's. Get a sweet thin crust pizza. And your affection for those things um, might, might be greater than the things of the gospel. Your affection for that thin crust pizza might be greater than the fact that God has made a way for you to have a relationship with Him for eternity. Far too often as a people, this is our, this is our struggle. Um, we say this this morning. Um, far too often as a people, we just, have a, we just don't have any awe of God. We have very little awe for who God is. There's God who is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Who's omnipotent. He's, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's all-powerful. He created everything with a word. With a word. And we don't stand in awe of that. So 
So the fact of the matter is, be talking about this morning isn't going to like awaken you to that fact. Um, but the Spirit of Christ can. Um, the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, can. Um, but the only way to have that Spirit within you is to is to confess that you're a sinful person, that you're in need of a Savior, and that the only way to stand justified before a holy God is to, to put your trust in faith in Him. This is the work of the Spirit of Christ. So this morning as we go, let's pray that our affections will be stirred for Jesus, and that we will be absorbed, immersed, and bathed in gospel truth this week. Let's pray.